0: You are listening to Ru, a podcast of global Confucianism. Join us as Dr. Ben Song explores the riches of the Ru tradition and its intellectual, philosophical, and spiritual heritage. Dr. Song is a scholar of Ruism more commonly known as Confucianism, as well as comparative philosophy, religion, and theology. He currently serves Washington College as an assistant professor of philosophy and religion. Here is Dr. Song with today's program.
1: Ritual Abiding or Good a Confucian question. If we have to use one unit to focus upon Confucius' thought, we should do so about the concept of Ren, translatable as humaneness, humanity, benevolence, kindness, goodwill, etc. The reason I said so is due to the historical situation that Confucius was facing when he tried to revive the Zhou ritual system to regain the peace of society in his time. Rituals understood in the broader ruised sense of civilizational conventions changed since they are after all conventions. Even if uh, we assume that a non-ritual prior to Zhou had never been considered by Confucius, which may be not accurate since he frequently mentioned ancient stories and cultures in the Analects, there had already been 500 years past after the event of Duke of Zhou made rituals and composed music. Yes, in Confucius' time, rulers of states frequently usurped power to perform rituals that were supposed to be solely performed by the emperor. In this case, it was clear to Confucius, what rituals this local lord should not perform, and thus he also condemned this hegemon relentlessly. However, for rituals that are of less outstanding status, people in different times and places are just doing them differently, or in certain cases, people may stop doing them, even if scholars can find the historical evidences of these abandoned rituals. Therefore, in order to teach rituals to his students to serve a distinctive social and political purpose, Confucius must have been delved into a quite serious, systematic thought about the origin, function, and purpose of ritual in general, so that he could have a standard to advocate certain rituals over others, and in certain circumstances, even to invent rituals fit for his time. A visible instance on the creative ritual practice of Confucius can be found in those analyzed educational principles that Confucius implemented in the first private school he founded. So what is the origin, function, and purpose of ritual? Regarding the origin of ritual, Confucius said, once ritual is lost, we should seek it in the wild field, which means seeking it in the uncultivated, non-urban areas, where people still keep their naturally kind and warm-hearted dispositions. He also likened the creation of ritual to drawing pictures on plainly white canvas. And this means that only when we possess a solid foundation of those inborn dispositions of human beings, we can start to desire rituals based upon it. In a more concrete term, when he explained why in his time, people needed to mourn for three years. After their parents passed away, Confucius said that people normally quote, derives no pleasure from the food that they eat, no joy from the music that they hear, and no comforts from their dwelling quote, after their parents die. And therefore they need a ritual to perform and abide by, to help them to go through this difficult time of deep grieving. So, in the view of Confucius, rituals are needed to express and manifest the naturally given inner dispositions of human beings. This view is highly understandable even from today's perspectives. For instance, we normally get excited or feel somewhat different about ourselves when our birthday is approaching. It seems that we need something to mark this day, to celebrate what is meaningful to us, and also to project a conceivable future. constitute the rationale of the perhaps most performed rituals or birthday party all over the world. However, although rituals manifest the inner dispositions of humanity, they can also discipline and refine the latter. The Analects 12.1 noticeably instructs that, quote, Humanity is realized through enabling oneself to return to ritual propriety. And also that, Look not at what is contrary to ritual propriety. Listen not to what is contrary to ritual propriety. Speak not what is contrary to ritual propriety. Make no movement which is contrary to ritual propriety. Given all our previous discussions of the significance of Li, it is not difficult for us to understand this aspect of Confucius' thought. Yes, the inner dispositions of humanity, no matter how naturally good they are, can seriously go over their due measure and become harmful think about the aforementioned mourning ritual. If there is no such a ritual to refine people's natural feelings of grief, this feeling may be indulged for too long a period of time and for too intensive a degree. If this happened, the community surrounding the grieving person might not have any means to interact with the person, and the ordinary activities in that person's life can also be greatly undermined. The same goes to every good will that a human individual may have towards certain aspects of life. For instance, I habituate myself to getting up early in the morning and reading and writing as a scholar. However, in order to regather myself and maintain my creativity, I also drink a cup of coffee, do some meditation, and walk around the neighborhood every one or two hours when I am writing. If I only have a good will to balance the stillness and activities of my body without a routinely materialized way to do it, the good will cannot be made true. And whether I have this good will at all can also be doubted. Since ritual both manifests and refines inner dispositions of humanity, when these inward and outward aspects of human living hate a perfect balance and harmony, Confucius has an overall term to describe this ideal state of human character and personality. Ren, the virtue of humanity or humanness. Confucius once says that, if a person is not human, what do they do with ritual propriety? If a person is not human, what do they do with music? So to acquire the virtue of humanness is the ultimate purpose of ritual performance. However, ancient Chinese characters normally have a cluster of meanings to apply in varying contexts. Treated as one among many virtues that the Confucius advocated in the Analects, the virtue of humanis refers to the sincere goodwill of human beings whenever we conducted ourselves kindly and benevolently in varying human relationships. However, seen as the cardinal human virtue on top of all virtues, the virtue of humanness means to love both oneself and the people, so as to fulfill the distinctive and all-encompassing human love in a cosmic consciousness. In other words, universal human love is how we realize what human beings can best achieve in an endlessly creating and renewing cosmos. Understood in both the minor and major meanings, the virtue of humaneness relates to rituals in a way that I can summarize as follows. Humaneness is the ontological origin and existential purpose of ritual, while ritual both manifests, refines, and helps to nurture the virtue of humaneness. With this standard of ritual propriety being set, Confucius can then select, invent, and teach rituals in his school as a bunch of examples in this regard are indicated in the Analects. Last but not least, among all the ways of ritual propriety that Confucius think can help to manifest and realize the ritual humaneness, there is one that stands prominently. Confucius calls it the method of practicing humaneness. And instructed his students to employ this method uninterruptedly for their whole life. This is normally called the golden rule of ethics in the Confucian case. It has three major interrelated aspects. Firstly, the negative golden rule, which is told by Analects 1524, do not do to others what you do not want done to yourself. Secondly, the positive golden rule, which is told by Analects 630. Establish others what you want to establish yourself. Help others to achieve what you want to achieve yourself. Thirdly, the corrective golden rule, which is told by Analects 1434. When someone does something wrong to you, you should neither revenge nor tolerate. Instead you should treat them with justice namely to correct their wrongdoing in loving, but just and righteous way. Given our previous analysis of the relationship between ritual propriety and humanness, we will understand that none of these three aspects can be implemented separately. For instance, if you merely refuse to impose to others what you do not want to be imposed, but not proactively care and promote the well-being of your human fellows, your humanity, namely the full potential to be a thriving human, will be greatly undermined. Most importantly, in mere reliance upon these three golden rules, we cannot become a genuinely human either. That's because the implementation of these rules, just as any other practice of ritual propriety, originates from the inner and deeper source of humanity, and thus must be based upon the rediscovery and nurturing of certain aspects of our innately given human dispositions. For instance, if you do not like to eat American cheese, According to the negative golden rule, you cannot feed the American cheese to whomsoever. For starving and poor people who need the cheese and nutrition, this cannot be said a human deed. Therefore the implementation of ritual propriety must be based upon our good judgment, of which naturally given predisposition lead to the co-thriving of human fellows. In a Confucian term, this means the practice of ritual propriety is premised upon and checked by our inner virtue of humaneness. In other words, the so-called golden rule of ethics can be best described as a silver rule, according to a Confucian perspective. The ritual-abiding behaviors alone cannot strengthen our good will to be a good human, while as analyzed before, the good will alone cannot guarantee us to be so either. An exemplary human should not let either aspect of the goodness of human life triumph over the other. And only when we reach an ideal balance between the raw and vibrant inner dispositions and outward ritual-abiding behaviors, we can be called an exemplary human being,
0: Thank you for listening to RU, a podcast of global Confucianism. If you enjoyed today's program, please consider subscribing to this podcast. If you would like to learn more about Ruism, please follow the link to Dr. Song's website included in the show notes. Opening music, Tada by Siddhartha Korsas. Closing music, Endless Forms Most Beautiful by Siddhartha Korsas. Thanks again for listening. And we look forward to you tuning in again next time.